It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the Reds edition here on Local12.com, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor. Pleased to be joined again by Chad Dotson from Red Leg Nation and also Cincinnati Magazine, among other things. We had Chad on a few weeks ago to talk about his outstanding book, and I heard it's doing well. Uh, the Big 50, the men and women, men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Chad, before we touch on a bunch of other things currently Reds-wise in an article that you just recently wrote for Cincinnati Magazine, I heard the book's going great. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, we've been really uh, gratified by the response. Uh, I'm, every day I'm, I'm more uh, amazed at the passion of Reds fans. I mean, even in a year like this where things aren't going so well on the field, uh, people are passionate about this club and about the history of this club. And, uh it's been really exciting to sort of see that uh, through the lens of this uh, this new book. Well, yeah, and I think the the part of it is, is you get a chance to 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 relate to them, and they can relive some of the, some of the good moments while they're yes. going through a lot of the bad moments currently. So it uh, it kind of helps in that regard for sure. Um, I, I do want to talk about about a bunch of stuff currently going on because you you do write to, and are the founder of Red Lake Nation, but you wrote written a real nice piece in Cincinnati Magazine. Um, kind of looking back to the letter, and it was we all remember the the, the letter that was written by ownership. Um, and I'm going to read the letter. Uh, this is at the time that Bob Castellini's ownership group took over. Uh, it's it's fairly short and sweet. I'm not going to go through all of it, but I'll, I'll I'll get the main part. And then you've kind of given a grade to how they've done on some of the promises. It said, Dear Reds fans, we're proud to be the new owners of America's first professional baseball team, the Cincinnati Reds. We're longtime baseball fans who've grown up with the Reds and have fond memories of going to the ballpark. In our lifetime, we faithfully cheered on the Reds through three world championships, six National League championships, and eight division titles. We know this team truly belongs to you. We understand what the Reds mean to our city and our region. We know what a winning team can do for a city's pride. We also understand the unique legacy the Reds hold in baseball history and the potential to reignite an American love affair with the nation's first professional baseball team. It is with a sense of responsibility, of both responsibility and respect, we pledge the following to the Reds fans. I'm just going to touch on the bullet points on this. One, we will bring championship baseball to Cincinnati. Two, we will build one of the most respected organizations in baseball. Three, we'll have a greater community presence. Four, we will rekindle the Reds Nation spirit. And five, we will not rest until you are happy. Um, and it was signed by Bob Castellini, Joseph H. Williams, Jr., the chairman of the board, and Thomas Williams, the vice chairman of the board. So, and that was coming off the Carl Linder ownership, which was very um, laissez-faire at, at best and, and seemed like he was a very distant owner who didn't care much about the on-field product. So this was a, a great rallying point for the Castellini group um, and, a, and a great way to begin so then let's hold their feet to the fire, which is what you've done. Let's start with number one, Chad. Number one is we will bring championship baseball to Cincinnati. How have you graded them? Well, uh, I, I graded them, and again, this may have been a little generous, but I gave them a C because they did technically bring championship baseball to Cincinnati because mm-hmm. the Reds won the Central Division Championships in 2010 and 2012. So I guess if you want to argue technicalities, maybe they did uh, – did abide by this pledge, but on the other hand, since taking over, uh, the Reds have just been uh, sort of disastrous. A winning percentage of 420 over the last four seasons: 292 and 404, uh, 953 and 1039, 953 wins, 1039 losses during the entire Castellini tenure. Correct. And uh, you know they're on their way to a uh, fourth straight 90 loss season. They only had four total 90-loss seasons in the previous three decades. Yep. So uh, we will bring championship baseball to Cincinnati, they said, and they specifically mentioned the World Series in that letter. 
Um, and it seems like now the Reds are further from the World Series than they uh, have been in a long, long time. Yeah, he might have been generous, but but I, but I think the overriding point was that you know they did make three playoff appearances, two division championships, and and yes, the World Series was what was in, was mentioned, and, and that's what they meant. But all you know, three play, you got to give them that. But it, it's been complete feast to some degree, not feast world championship wise, but at least playoff wise, or or almost complete famine where we're not talking about scuffing along at 84 and 78 and thinking you're a piece away. It's been some, some major lost seasons, and obviously where we are right now um, keeps bringing that curve down. So C's probably fair. I know fans probably will look and go, that's got to be a D or maybe even an F because they have not won a World Series. But, uh, you know, you make the playoffs. That's the, that's the first goal, and then sometimes it's a crapshoot from there. Well, absolutely. I mean, they did mention World Series, but I hardly blame – the ownership group for the Reds not making the World Series Correct. in 2010 or 2012 or 2013. You have to be in the mix in order to do it. Sometimes a wild card team wins. Sometimes the best team in the league wins. You never know, but you can't win unless you're in the playoffs. And they did get the Reds into the playoffs. So those three years in particular, you know, I, I'll give them an A. But yeah, right, the rest of the right. time, uh, uh, the other, you know, nine-plus seasons that they've been uh, in uh, in control, well, that's bringing the grade down a little bit. Yeah, those are the ones you hope. Those are your one-hour classes, right? And the, and the A's are all the four-hour classes. And, and exactly. The point value balances itself <laughs> out. All right, number two point was we will build one of the most respected organizations in baseball. You gave this an incomplete grade. Explain that because I'm I'm not sure they've done that, even even close to have done that. Or am I wrong? Well, I, no, I think you're probably right. The reason I gave it an incomplete grade was that it's difficult to assess there's two ways to look at whether they're one of the most respected organizations in baseball. Are they one of the most respected within baseball? And there are some, some reasons to think maybe they are, uh, you know, I think, uh, Castellini is, uh, well liked by his peers. The, the farm system's actually good. They've made big strides, especially under Dick Williams recently, uh, in minor league facilities, uh, international scouting, uh, the sort of minor league nutrition, things like that. And, uh, so, uh, you know, you can make an argument perhaps that within baseball they're they're fairly well respected, but outside of baseball, it probably maybe a maybe a D if I'm being generous uh, right, to be honest, right, right, because uh, the Sporting News has ranked them as the worst uh, front office in baseball. Uh, Fangraphs, a website that I, that uh, covers baseball, ranked the Reds de- dead last in their organizational ratings. And uh, right now they don't have the worst record in baseball, but uh, it's one of the bottom three. And so, um, and I and I don't know that there really there's a whole lot of respect for what the Reds are doing or trying to do, especially in this age where everyone's gone all in on analytics. And the Reds were a little slow to that party. Yes, they were. Now, but yep. Um, again, that one may have been uh, generous and saying incomplete, but it's only because I don't know how they are. I don't have any insight into how people around the actual game feel about them. Outside the game, no one has a whole lot of respect for the Reds. Correct. Correct. Number three, and this was an easy one, we'll have a greater community presence, and you gave them an A-plus, and, and I think anybody that lives in this area, um, whether it's northern Kentucky, whether it's uh, uh, the east side, the west side, uh, up through Dayton, um, they have done a great job, especially with through the Reds Community Fund. Uh, it seems like every year it's, it's a couple of new ball fields. They, they, you know, they've done some stuff with, with inner city baseball through the Reds Youth Academy. It's hard not to give them an A-plus for this. The, the interesting part is it feels like the more they trot these fields out while the team isn't going well, the more animosity there is. But I, I think you have to separate the two things. And when they say we'll have a greater community presence, uh, it's hard not to give them an A-plus for that. That's right. And you do have to separate them. And there's and really not a whole lot to say because uh, what they've done in the community through the Res Community Fund and, and all the you know donations and the work they do with uh, 
you know, baseball and softball. Um, it's just, uh, it's incredible. And it's uh, the way I put it in my, my piece at Cincinnati Magazine was that the Reds Community Fund is one of the shining lights in our community. And I think they are. I think, they oh, really, I, no I think doubt. the Reds do a great job there. So, uh, unconditionally, I'll give them an A plus there. Yeah, no, 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 no question. All right, number four, we will rekindle the Reds Nation spirit. Um, and I think you know, being being here in those playoff years where you know it felt like a long time coming, it, there there was a just a groundswell of Reds Nation spirit. And these ninety lost seasons have started to take a toll, especially when right or wrong, the average fan and sometimes even the fan that can take some deep dives does not see a great light at the end of the tunnel. And you've seen attendance wane. You've seen interest in games on TV, Wayne. Very little conversation about the Reds um, because I, I, I get it. And yeah, you, you gave them a, a D in this regard, and that's probably, that's probably fair right there as well. I, you can't give them a complete F because they did rekindle that Reds Nation spirit for a period of time. But, boy, now it's really on the decline, and it feels like it's, it's coming rapidly. Sure, absolutely. And, and you're exactly right. In uh, 2010, you know, I was in, in the ballpark when uh, Jay Bruce had the big home run, mm-hmm. uh, what they call clinchmas to clinch the, the division championship. And that was just a really exciting time to be in the stadium and to be a fan. And, and the, the Reds Nation spirit, as they called it, had been rekindled at that point. Um, but if you look at the attendance numbers, it's down every single year. And right now the Reds are averaging about 13,000 fewer fans a game than they did just four seasons ago. Yeah, and 30, that's a 30, 000, yeah. drop. And, yeah, 30,000 in the way I put it is, cut in half. right now, this is not scientific at all, but I really think the mood of the Reds fan base is as low as it's ever been in my lifetime. And Agreed. I, I don't remember a time when – and maybe it's just because we have more access to each other through social media and, and we can sort of hear each other thinking more. But uh, even in the last, over the last few years, it's just it's as low as it's ever been. And I think you hit on a, a big part of the reason why is – Unless you're sort of squinting and buying what they're selling, it's hard to see a light at the end of the tunnel. I think there is a light. I think they are going in the right direction. It's slowly, but it's hard to see that light at the end of the tunnel. And and I tell you, I don't see it getting better until the Reds really make some public moves to improve the on-field product at Great American Ballpark. Yeah, no, no doubt. It's funny because if you recall, you go back to even the, the, the hundred loss team in '82 and. And a year after, those were coming off, you know, a, a really good, arguably the great, not arguably the greatest decade in, in Reds baseball history, right. the 70s. Um, you know, the 81 team got got hosed because of the strike, but that was still a very good team that was 66 and 42, best record in baseball. Um, so then the 100 loss season happens, another bad year happens, and before apathy could set in at that point, well, here comes Pete Rose back, and he had some, you know, Pete being back and the quest for 41-92 and some pretty good teams. And then obviously culminating basically when Pete left in the 90 World Champion, it, 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 it was a very quick blip to where fans didn't have a chance to let that apathy seep in and seek and, 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 and draw in. We're now in a, in a long run where, again, as you mentioned, you've you got to squint, but a lot of fans aren't willing to do that, and I think we all understand that. I think it's absolutely understandable. Um, you know, I, as I said, I do believe that slowly but surely they're going in the right direction. They're not making the moves as quickly as I would have preferred, and they're not making uh, the same moves that I would have necessarily. But I can see the moves they're making. I think they've got some smart guys in charge over there. Nick Prawl, the new GM, uh, great, great guy, uh, really smart guy. I've I got a lot of respect for Dick Williams as well. I mean, I think he's uh, more open to uh, to change and to new things than any GM this uh, uh, organization has, has had, maybe since Bob Housem. I don't know. But, uh, you know, for the average fan that's not really paying attention that much, that may just uh, want to come down to the ballpark on the weekends or tune in at uh, – 
at night, they see losing, losing, losing. They see a team that has the worst winning percentage right now of any Reds team since 1948. And so probably for everyone, that's this is the worst Reds team at this moment that they've ever seen in their lifetime. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to uh, have that Reds Nation spirit uh, be very high when this is the, the product that the average fan is seeing. It's 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 disheartening. No, no quite. And I'm going to get to number five, but it, it to make me segue a little bit to obviously the, the announcement that, that Cincinnati now does have an MLS franchise coming. Um, they may start play as early as next season. Uh, with that is going to come increased ticket prices. Um, uh, fans need to understand that, but that also means the dollar for Reds and MLS is going to get competitive. Um, sometimes you can argue it's a different fan base, but if you're starting to grab, trying to grab young eyeballs, you know, baseball for a lot of young younger generation is is not a sport that they gravitate towards. Um, how, how much could this? And this is obviously subjective. How much could the soccer team continue to put a dent or put a dent on, on the Reds, especially if their product isn't all that great on the field? Well, the Reds are sort of woven into the DNA of the city in a lot of ways, but it's not like that's a a gift that can't be uh, lost, I guess. Right. It's uh, as FC Cincinnati, as long as they were not in M- in MLS, it was going to be difficult for them to really make serious inroads there. But now they're going to be playing in the top uh, league in the country, and I love I love soccer. Um, up the way in Columbus, I hope they can hang on to their team because that's going to be a great rivalry right, right. between Columbus and uh, FC Cincinnati. And I think that the, the, the city has really embraced this team, and I think that the more that they have success and the more that they're able to compete at the highest level in America um, – it's that's only going to expand. I mean, I think the sky's the limit for FC Cincinnati if uh, if their ownership is serious about really putting a good product on the field, and they have been so far. Yes. And, you know, it's hard to make an, an apples-to-apples comparison. It is, it but, is but, but, but you're it's playing another a similar major time. league team in this city, and that's going to take some eyeballs away from the Reds. If the Reds don't get things going quickly, they're going to get left behind. Correct, correct. Uh, number five on, on the list was, was we will not rest in, until you are happy. And, and the one thing I'll say before I give you your piece on this, and you've written about it, again, people can find this in Cincinnati Magazine, CincinnatiMagazine.com. Um, the one thing I will give the Reds and the organization credit for is they've tried to make the ballpark experience great, and maybe that's because they realize the on-field product, it's, it's like watch the right hand and don't watch the left hand. But if you do go to the ballpark and you want to have a ballpark experience, um, and through promotional uh, items that they've done, um, they've made that experience very good. I will give them credit for that. But I think most fans are happy with, with one thing and one thing only. Yeah, you want a nice experience. I'd like a cheaper beer. I'd probably like a cheaper hot dog. I, I want my team to win. I think that's the part. And and I, I, I'll give them this. I don't, I don't think they're sitting there going, boy, I hope we can do another bobblehead night and, and to hell with the product. I, I think they do care about the product. I just don't think in, in, in some years they've gone about it the right way. I think that's a perfect way to describe it. It's a, sort of two parts to that promise they make. We will not rest. That's the first part. Right. <laughs> until you are happy. Well, Reds fans aren't happy. But uh, the reason I gave it sort of a middling grade here on this uh, particular promise is because I don't think they're resting. I think that they've been relentless in, pro- in improving the ballpark. Yes. And it is a great game day experience. One of the best I've ever seen. And I've been to a lot of major league ballparks. But we just talked about the attendance numbers a minute ago. That, that stuff's not going to move the needle until they're winning. Um, and so until those stadium changes are, are mirrored by some improvements by the actual on-field product, Reds fans aren't going to be happy. Uh, the Reds are not resting. I, I'm sure, I know they're trying, um, but they've got to 
they're going to have to they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to do something drastic, or else uh, Reds fans are not happy, and it's going to be a while until they are. No, no doubt about it. Let's talk a little bit about the current on-field product uh, since the 3-15 start. As we're doing this this podcast, the, the Reds have gone 15 and 15 since then. I know that can make some people go yawn, but uh, before <laughs> the year, you and I talked. I, I, I predicted 82 and 80. You thought this team had a shot at the playoffs, and, and that's not you being Red Leg Nation homer. You had salient points <laughs> behind it. And anybody who knows me in this market realizes I'm far from a homer. I just thought there were some parts that could do that. I think once once the offense got healthy, you've seen enough in the lineup when you've been able to put your main group on the field to score some runs. And, and you, you've now got Luis Castillo uh, mm-hmm. kind of fit, fixed, if you will, and um, and Matt Harvey's given them a little bump as as well. I guess the question then is we're, we're going closer and closer to the trade deadline this team's playing well. What what parts are movable, Chad? Well, I think they probably have to look to move Matt Harvey if he continues to Correct. impress. Mm-hmm. He, there's going to be a taker for Matt Harvey, and I don't say that because I dislike Matt Harvey. No, he's been great. It's about yep. it's been really exciting to watch what he's brought to the Reds since he came. He's shown some flashes of maybe not being exactly who he used to be, but at least a, a little closer version of that. Got to try to move him if you can. Um, yeah, I think I, I think honestly because I don't see the Reds. He's gonna be a free agent. I don't see the Reds being able to sign him long term. Yeah, no, I, I, I think what you, I think what you're gonna do over the next two months is you hold your breath that he continues to pitch at least this well to where he does become a valuable chip. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think there was any thought or should be any thought to, to re-sign him because you're just not going to be able to. I think that now it's okay. He's pitched kind of better than we thought. Now let's just hold on tight until we can get to the point where we can maybe move him. Yeah, I'd be I'd be calling uh, organizations every day, uh, uh, trying to gauge the interest in him, as long as he's pitching well. And, and I think that's the the gamble the Reds uh, front office made. And to give management credit, I think it was a good gamble to take mm-hmm. in trading Devin Mesoraco for him. Mesoraco is another guy they would have tried to trade, but as a backup catcher, he wasn't going to hold a whole lot of value at the trade deadline. At least there's a chance that Harvey could bring substantially more in a trade. And I I, I think it's worth uh, sort of grabbing that lottery ticket. Yep, no question about it. The the one that's interesting to me, I think you and I are going to disagree on this one is what to do with Scooter Jeanette. Um, and I don't do this from a fan favorite standpoint. I don't care about the fan favorite part. I think sometimes ownership's got wrapped up in that, and it's, it's cost them. I'm looking at an extremely productive player still now just, just 28 years old with eh, four or five good years maybe left in, in the tank. He's, he's still under team – well, now he's, he's arbitration eligible next year, but then free agent eligible the year after. I know that the prevailing wisdom is he's a guy to start to look to flip now. I know what's coming, although I'm not, I need to see Senzel not go through vertigo issues every couple of months before I can sign off on him, and maybe I'm wrong. Um, are you in the camp that says, says try to look to keep Scooter, or you flip Scooter for the best possible thing you can get at this deadline or at the very least next deadline? Well, that's a tough one because uh, I know people don't like what I'm going to say here. Um, but I, I got to preface it by saying Scooter Jeanette's one of my favorite players that the Reds have had over the last you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, just love watching that guy play. He goes all out. He's killing the ball for the second straight year. He's, uh, you know, No complaints about his offense. The issues are going to be that by the time he's going into his free agent year, he's going to be going into his 30s. Bad idea to sign a 30-year-old middle infielder. He, he'll be right. He'll be right at 30 years old at that point. Yeah, and um, it just his decline is going to come, and I'm afraid it's going to come quickly because he sort of fits the pattern of someone that peaks, uh, you know, th- doesn't peak until late. And there are guys like Todd Frazier and Chris Sabo. If you go back a little, mm-hmm. a little ways, uh, Adam Duvall is a good, ex- a good example. Peak a little late, they have a really short peak, and so I'm afraid he's going to decline quickly as well. 
when you can buy, and, and that maybe not because he certainly hasn't declined this year. Uh, no, but 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 if the Reds decide to hang on yeah. to him, I'm okay with that. But you got to also accept the fact that he's by the numbers the worst defensive second baseman yes. in all of Major League Baseball. Yeah, yeah no, I that's got to go into it. Yeah, you and I I think disagree on it because I, I still I, I, I'm not here to tell you I think he falls off, but I think it's fair to look and. I would invite anybody, if you start, go to baseballreference.com and look at any player and just see when you wonder, you hear about peaks and you hear about primes. Just watch how a guy evolves at a certain age and then watch where the decline comes. And and that's what front offices have to do. They have to look at a guy like a scooter jet and go, okay, does he have a four-year window left or does he have a a year-and-a-half window left? And sometimes that's hard because the present tells you, boy, this guy's raking, and he's not slowing down anytime soon, but you have to look in terms of, of, of future. I, and I, I guess I'm in the camp that says, I don't, I don't know if this is a, a short window peak or if Milwaukee just simply overlooked him and didn't give him the at-bats that were warranted um, at, a, at a younger age. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough call for me, but you're right. Defensively, he, he's, he's actually played pretty well here the last week or so, but you can't take it in weak windows. Um, yeah, I just don't know where he plays defensively long-term, and that, that, that's an issue too. Well, you're correct in identifying that the actual question is, if, if Scooter Jeanette, if we think he's going to have a little bit longer window, probably uh, it's probably in the Reds' interest to keep him around because he's not slowed down yet. And, um, and him being a fan favorite, for better or for worse, it shouldn't be as <laughs> much of a, an issue as it is, but that is a, a thing that the Reds take into account. But um, if it, uh, they have a lot of proprietary metrics, things that they, that they don't release to the public, that they can see all Major League Baseball teams sure. have them, and maybe they have a better forecast for what his next few years are going to be like. And I, I think that you can make that case. I wonder if he could play right field. Uh, right. No, right. Yeah. It, 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 he, he certainly, you know, you've seen guys go from infield to outfield, and, and maybe he can be a left fielder, right fielder, for, sure, for, for, you know, for lack of a better term, because, yeah, obviously the, the second base situation is coming. I, I, speaking of it, on the Senzel front, are you worried at all about, about the vertigo coming and going? Not yet, but uh, it's absolutely something to uh, sort of have on, in the back of your mind at all times with him that he could be gone at any moment. Uh, you know, we did a piece at Red Leg Nation looking at some of the, the other baseball players. There have been five or six uh, going back to Nick Osaski for right, Red. Right, that's the that one. struggles vertigo. And, and mm. Sinzel's appears to be way more minor than any of the rest of those. And even as that Osaski, when his vertigo first started, his career was over. Correct. I mean, I mean it, it, it was boom. Yeah, you're yeah, right. He never came back. So the doctors say, or Sinzel and uh, the Reds say that it's a it's a mild case, and that can happen, and it can cause problems, but it also can get uh, sort of fixed with, with medication, with exercise, balancing exercises, things like that. So I'm hopeful they'll get it figured out. But yeah, that's a it's definitely a concern. This guy's the franchise. Right. Exactly. <laughs> if, if you're looking at that light, we're squinting at it in the tunnel. He's 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 at the forefront yeah. holding the light for goodness sakes. So you don't want that light to go out to, that quickly. Um, is, is, and I know you're a Joey Votto guy, and, and understandably so, is, but is Eugenio Suarez becoming the best offensive player on this team? Well, uh, I don't know if he, at the end of the season we're going to look him up and he'll have better uh, numbers than Joey Votto, but he's sort of the straw that stirs the drink a little bit uh, right now. I mean, this guy's just mashing. Uh, he's another guy that uh, I'm, I'm really happy with the fact that the Reds, let's give him some credit there, yes. signed him to that long-term deal because uh, this is a guy you want to be the face of the franchise. Uh, good defensive player. He's killing the ball. Uh, he's always smiling, having fun. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about Eugenio Suarez. 26, 26 years old, so still kind of entering those yeah. prime years that I'm not sure he, you know, 
before the year started, I predicted 25 homers and either 90 RBI, 90 runs, depending on whether he hit second or hit, you know, in, in a run-producing spot. I mean, even missing those games, Chad, he's on pace to drive in over 100, um, to hit 24 homers. And, again, that that's just – that's on pace, and, and that's that's him missing a chunk of games. That, you yeah. know, he, he may be a 30-home run guy before it's all said and done. Uh, I don't see any reason to believe that he won't be if yep. he continues to progress like he has. I just, and he also – it should be noted, uh, it's it's been widely uh, reported – that he is just about the the hardest worker on the team. He's sort of the baseball version of a gym yep. rat, you'd say, for basketball. He's always constantly working out, doing baseball-related activities. And um, I think that's why the Reds were willing to uh, sign him long-term. That's a big part of the reason they see a guy that's really committed. So, love that guy. All right, lastly, um, you, you know what the Tampa Bay Rays did last weekend in, in starting uh, Sergio Romo back-to-back days. He became the opener, uh, pitched an inning one day, an inning in two-thirds the next day, and then one day they made it a bullpen day. Another day they turned it over to – the guy was going to be the starting pitcher. So it made me look uh, in terms of the Reds potentially doing that in a, in a piece I did the, earlier in the week. And, and I kind of looked at Tyler Malley and I looked at Sal Romano and how, you know, they get to 50 pitches and they kind of fall off a cliff. And, and you look at Homer Bailey for whatever reason, first time through the lineup, he just gets destroyed. So for some reason, second time through the lineup, he is, is as dominant as maybe any, any pitcher in baseball. And then looking in terms of saying, all right, if you're the Reds, and, and I think you have one bona fide starter, Luis Castillo, and then guys that you're still you're testing the waters on, uh, what would you think if they thought outside the box and said, listen, we're going to make Tyler Malley and Sal Romano 50-pitch pitchers, and we're going to extend Amir Garrett and make him a 35-pitch pitcher. And uh, when Iglesias comes back, because he used to be a starter, make him a 35-pitch pitcher. And um, I know this is way outside the box. I know what the Rays did, had people scratching their heads. I, I think in today's baseball, finding – three to four to even close to five quality starters is very, very difficult to do. Um, you got a lot of young power arms that come up. They, they, they don't go more than 85 to, to 100 pitches, and a lot of times they only get there because you, you need them to, to go there to, to save your bullpen. But if you started doing this in different terms, could it work, and should a team look to try something like that? If the Reds were to try something like that, and even just not even discussing the specifics of it, just something that you could categorize as outside of the box, uh, certainly what you propose is outside the box. I yes. would be the happiest guy on earth. And, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, I don't know what they did with you know, starting Romo and uh, what they're trying to do with the relievers. I don't know if that is going to work. I don't know if it's a good idea. I don't know if it, it's going to help their organization. But a team like the Tampa Bay Rays and a team like the Cincinnati Reds need to be thinking, hey, how can we get an edge on the uh, competition? Right. What, what can we do that everybody else isn't doing? Because we're trying to do what everyone else is doing, and it ain't working. So I would think that – I think the Reds absolutely need to try, whether it's that or just any, anything that sounds crazy. Why not try it, especially now? What, what is there to lose? Well, here's the other part. If, if you were to – let's just say the Reds in a perfect world in five years, Chad, had five just top-notch starting pitchers. How many of those guys you get to keep long-term financially? Very few of them, right? That's the, that's the other part of the way. You're just not going to ever be in that part where you can outspend other teams to put that together. So – Hey, if I can find two guys that I can say those are my two guys that are uh, those are my main starters, but I got a lot of good arms around it, but I got to find a way to make it work. I, I I wish I wish a team would try it, and I would not be opposed to the Reds being one of those teams that tried it. You're right; it could be a really cost-effective way to get innings pitched. And you think back to Moneyball Oakland A's; they started gathering the, all these high on base percentage guys because they right. thought that was the most cost-effective way to improve the team because it was undervalued. Relief pitchers are undervalued, perhaps, if you're using them in this sort of outside-the-box way. The Reds have to be thinking in those terms. They're not going to compete with the Yankees on a payroll basis. 
they're going to compete with the Chicago Cubs in their own division. So, right. yes, they absolutely should be thinking outside the box as much as possible. Chad, great stuff as always. I do appreciate it. Again, uh, for those that maybe have not gotten the book, and, and I would suggest you do if you're a Reds fan, you will certainly enjoy it. It's an, it's an easy, very good read, very quick chapter. We talked about the last time you were on. Uh, the Big 50, the men and moments that uh, made the Cincinnati Reds, and then the piece that Chad wrote for Cincinnati Magazine grading the uh, kind of the promises that uh, the Castellini group made back in uh, 2006 when they when they bought the team. CincinnatiMagazine.com is where you can see it. Chad, always appreciate the time. I really enjoyed it. Thank you much. Oh, always fun. Thank you. Good deal. Chad Dotson from Red Leg Nation and Cincinnati Magazine. This has been the Skinny Podcast presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.